All right, so week number two, um, we're talking about the Trinity. Um, and, and really what, it, what we're doing here is we're taking a few weeks, really the first segment of this series, and we're diving through our core beliefs as a church. We really have never walked through the doctrine uh, that we hold in our closed hand as a church, and, and really this is like a non-negotiable for us uh, as we engage uh, the doctrine and, and the, the, the theology of our church. And so what we believe, though, is that for, for there to be healthy life, there has to be healthy belief. And so if, uh, if you have a healthy theological background, a healthy doctrine that's, that's providing you the foundation of life, you will have a fruitful life. And so a lot of times where we're, we see that there are separations between those two and there's some bad fruit, a lot of times it can be tracked back to the fact that we have bad beliefs about who God is and the nature and the person of God. And so what we want to do is take some time over the next few weeks and really talk about what's in our closed hand. What's in our closed hand regarding God and how can that actually lead to fruitful and life-giving environments in our life, life in life-giving relationships between all that we are. Because here's what I do. When I pray for you, and I talked about this last week a little bit, um, when I pray for you is I pray these words in Colossians chapter 2. And um, talking about our roots as a church and about the roots as um, uh, who we are as individuals, if we can throw Colossians 2 on the screen um, there. It says, and now, just as you accepted Christ, Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. And so we said, we said really, we, my prayer um, that just as, God, as, as I've been interacting and praying for you, that God's just been pressing on me, this, this vision, this image of, of our roots growing deeper um, into him so that we can have a, a fruit that is pleasing to him, that is, that is good. It's not this rotten fruit that we can't uh, use and consume and, and, and uh, engage with, but there's, there's good, life-giving fruit because our roots grow down deep in him. At our church, we say the roots grow down deeply through worship gatherings, through community groups, and through some sort of service opportunity and living a life of service in the world. Through those three environments, we're really pursuing what it's like to have roots in Christ. And so what we're doing over the next few weeks is literally going to see and, and, and we're praying that, that God is moving into uh, our church in this way as we pursue all of these things. And so that moves us into this idea to talking about the nature of God. Last week, we talked about how God speaks and that really God interacts with us through the text of the scriptures and that it's profitable for us to use in teaching and reproof um, and correction and training in righteousness and so that God will actually interact, breathe into the world through the scriptures so that we can have a sense of who he is and a sense of life um, in all that, on all that he's doing. But that lead us in, lead us, leads us into the nature of God, who is God and, and who God actually is. Is and so uh, today we're talking about the Trinity. But but first off, a little life poll: Who has ever sat through a full forty-five or thirty-minute teaching on a Sunday morning on the topic of the Trinity? Thought so. About five of us, right? Five in a room of about a hundred. We the same thing on the first uh, same thing in the first gathering. As well, in, in the 8.30 gathering, there's only a few people that raise their hand. Now, here's what's so tough about this. As a, as a pastor, this is my first time ever preaching a full sermon on the Trinity. Um, and I've been, I've been preaching full-time now for, for, preaching, teaching full-time now for about five years. I've been in ministry for 10. And I've literally, I've, I've, I can't remember sitting through a sermon on the Trinity, let alone, I've never taught one. 
Now, here's what's so alarming about that is that that's the nature of God. It's who he is. It's how he presents himself into the world, and yet we've never taken time to consider all that he actually is. And so often we miss major implications about how we need to have healthy lives and healthy relationships simply because we don't know the God that we worship. Gosh, and I pray today, because today is going to be like a type of a Sunday. Can I, can I get an amen around that? Like it's going to be like a, today's going to be like, okay, can you stop, just time out, let's have some Q&A. Like it's going to be one of those, but I really believe that in that stretching of our minds that God's going to allow our roots to grow deep and our hearts to grow full. And can you believe with God, believe with me in that God's going to make that activity take place. I pray that God is going to do that um, through the, the teaching of his word today. So if you have your Bibles or if you grab your Bible that's on your seat, we're going to go to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, um, and that is page number 829. Um, if you go to Mark 1, um, and again, we put the Bibles on the seats so that you know that I'm not this crazy dude that's making stuff up in my office and just presenting it to you like just half-heartedly on Sundays. Um, I want you to see that what we're talking about is in the text, that you can hold me accountable to what the Bible says, not to what my own beliefs are. And then lastly, um, if you don't have a Bible, um, I, this, that's, your, that's, that's our gift to you. We want to give that to you. We want to take that, take that home with you so that you can peruse through it and dive into it and really sense the life of God um, because of it and, and, and really engage with who he is in it uh, because really we believe that God breathed out um, activity into the world through it. So we'd love for you to take that home and really engage in it. So Mark chapter 1, um, really what is the Trinity um, and then the implications of the Trinity. So here we go, Mark 1, verse 9. Says this, on the day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals, and angels took care of him. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee, where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. And so you have to kind of see what, what, what's going on here in Mark, is, is that you see Jesus is being baptized before his, his, he launches into a full-time ministry um, in right around the age of 30, and, and he begins to, he gets baptized, and God, the, hev, the Bible says the heavens open up, and God uh, sees Jesus and says, this is uh, my son of who I am pleased, and a dove um, settles down on him as a symbol of the Spirit. Now, because of this verse in today's day and age, we don't really have any problem seeing um, and, 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 and symbolizing the Spirit through uses of images, and so the dove and different types of other uh, images that are used. Um, but in this day and age, in Mark, in this times of Mark, this was very rare. There was only one other time, in fact, uh, that, that a symbol like the dove was used as an image for God's spirit. And so you have God the Father, God the Son being baptized as the spirit present at this moment. There's only one other time where this would have taken place. And that was over in Genesis chapter 1 where the rabbis were, would begin to teach about what God was like. Um, so it says, this is what, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, and so this word, for, this word hovering here in Hebrew, the original language of the Old Testament, um, it depicts uh, the fluttering of a bird. And so when the rabbis were to begin, began teaching Genesis 1, they actually translated this in a way to help them teach it. It says that the Spirit of God was fluttering over the waters, of, uh, was fluttering over the waters like a dove. And then God said, and you thought that I wasn't going to be able to sneak a Genesis 1 reference into this series, but I did, right? So here we are. But you have Mark 1, we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But here in Genesis chapter 1, you have in the beginning God who creates heaven and earth, and then the Spirit of God was hovering or fluttering over the surface of the waters like a dove, and then God said, so we see this God, we see a spirit, and then we see this God speaking. In John chapter 1, the Bible says that of Jesus that he is the word made flesh, right? So in Genesis chapter 1, you have God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son as the words that are spoken. And so here, what we have to understand is that Mark 1 and Genesis 1 are interacting with each other. As God the Father um, interacts with God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And so somehow they're three and somehow they're one altogether. And so you have this interaction, Mark 1 and Genesis 1. What Mark is trying to explain to us is that, Mar is that in the same way that the creation is a project of the triune God, so is the recreation of the world after the sin and fall that took place in Genesis 3. So not only is the creation of the world the project of the triune God, the recreation, the restoration of this world is also a project of this triune God. So the question really is, well, what is the Trinity then? If both the creation and recreation of this world is his project, what is and who is the triune God? And so the definition of the, of the Trinity is simply that, that there is one God that eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all three are fully God. And so you have one God eternally existing in three persons, as the Father, the Son, and and the Holy Spirit. And so you have three roles, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. First is the Father. The Father is the initiator of the plan of recreation, of this restoration plan. He's the initiator of it. And you see this in Galatians chapter 4. It says this, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And so you have God the Father, who's like the initiator of this entire plan to create and recreate the world. But then you have the mediator, the son. 
And so God the Father, God the Son is Jesus Christ. You see him um, mediating and implementing this plan for redemption. So you have God the Father is initiating this plan and creating this plan, and then Son is mediating this plan. So 1 Timothy um, 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. John chapter 6 also says, For I have come down from heaven, this is Jesus talking, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will, and this is the will of God, but that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I would, should raise them up at the last day. And so really the, 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 the plan for redemption is mediated and uh, implemented through the Son, Jesus Christ. And then lastly, the, the Spirit of God um, is present in the works, and the, he is the unifier. He's the one that's working in the midst, um, at administrating the plan for redemption. So John 14 would say this, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. And so you see that, that God creates this plan. He, in fact, sends his son to mediate and implement this plan, but then gives you the gift, the advocate, the spirit in order to help you uh, uh, live this plan and to call you to him and to move in your heart so that you can know that God is uh, that God is the way to life and that Jesus is actually the mediator to who he says he is. And so John 16 also says, it is the best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father. And so you, so you see this interaction. These three are at play. Now, the word Trinity is not in the Bible anywhere, but really is a synopsis of the activity of the Bible. It's like a, it's like a term right out of systematic theology. Like it's this, this idea that helps us understand the play that's happening when you read the New Testament, you see all these, well, you have God the Father, you have this spirit, you have Jesus talking to somebody, and you have all these di different interactions. And so it's really a, a term that helps us understand the activity of the New Testament, but not so much a, a, a term that, like, he says, all right, here's how it works. And, I mean, don't you just wish there was one chapter. It would be like, hey, here's how the Trinity works, right? Like, thank, thank you. I just, like, saves weeks of ponder, right? Because, really, this is a lot to engage in. But, but so somehow you see these three interacting in the creation and recreation of the world. But the truth is, how in the world are these three yet one, and somehow one but three? How are they three? They're co-equal in, in, in themselves, but then they're also one. Now, here's what this is not. Here's what the Trinity is not. One, it's not atheism. You're like, yeah, I get that. All right, I understand. Like, we believe in God. We believe in a monotheistic uh, understanding of God. And so we believe there is one God. We believe that there's something going on there. But what this is not also, it's not just atheism, but it's not tritheism. Tritheism believes that there's three gods that hang out together like buddies. Okay? And so these three together, these three hang out. But really, if we believe that these are three that hang out together and somehow form some sort of one, per, some sort of one, we're just nothing more than polytheists. And really, what after three, what makes what, what stops us at four? And after four, what stops us at forty-four? 
And that really helps us interact. That, that would really put us in the same camp as the Eastern religions of, the, of Hindus and Buddhists, really that believe that everything has the potential to be God. So we're not tritheists, three guys that kind of hang out together that are buddies. But here's what we're also not. We're not modalists, where there's one God in that, that manifests himself into different forms, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we're not just, so God is not just one God, unipersonal, that presents himself in three different forms. He's not three gods that hang out together. And obviously there is a belief somehow but that, that God is in the activity. So we're like, all right, phew, we got that one covered. And then everything else is kind of foggy at this point. Are we tracking? And so we have this three in one, yet somehow one in three. And so the question is, what's going on there? And really what the Bible teaches is that the glory that these three share with each other, the glory that these three are giving each other is what make them one yet three, yet three yet one. It's the glory that they share together. So here's what John 17 is going to teach this. So if they are co-equal, co-existent, eternal, eternal in nature, the nature of who God is, and they are fully God. Here's what John 17 would say. Father, this is Jesus talking. The hour has come. He's talking about his death. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him the authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. And so there's two there's two people that are glorifying each other. You have God the Father and God the Son. Here's what we instantly want to do. We want to put God the Father and God the Son in some sort of authoritarian relationship, don't we? Right? We're like, that just makes it much easier. It's modeled like every American home. Everything's better, right? It just makes it easier to do this thing. But that's not how it works. Is that when in Mark 1, when God, when God the Father sees Jesus, he says, I am pleased with you. I am delighted in you, that there is joy there. And so the fact that they're glorifying each other, and that Jesus is in fact himself a deity, so there's such perfect relationship between the two, such joy between the two, such glory given back and forth between each other, that it creates a co-equalness so strong, with a relationship so deep and so perfect, C.S. Lewis actually says it creates a third person in the spirit. And so it's the glory that they share with each other that creates this Godhead of a perfect community of mutual self-giving love that are somehow three yet one and somehow one yet three. And so they're sharing back and forth between the two. And so there's really two ways to glorify someone or something. The first way is beauty. Beauty is when you find something or someone beautiful. Thank you. I'll be here all day, right? It's like, thanks, pastor. That there's nothing. <laughs> didn't tell me anything I didn't know already. But when you glorify someone or something, you are addressing them as beautiful. They're gorgeous. They capture your imagination. It's like every dude in a dating relationship that they're of the, with their wife, right? Like it's like this idea that like there's just something beautiful, captures your imagination, changes who you are. You adore it, you imagine it, you praise it, you enjoy it. 
there's beauty in the glorification of the other person. And so you see this taking place. They're just pleased with each other. There's joy and delight, perfect harmony in this relationship between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. But yet not only is there beauty, there's also duty. Duty and beca- is because of the beauty that you have for the person, you desire to serve them. You don't desire to manipulate them so that you get them to do something for you. You just, no strings attached, have no qualm about making sure they're taken care of. You enter into a relationship that has an orbit not around you. And you know what this feels like because I think you've probably experienced at some point in your life this type of relationship. And it feels like heaven because that was ultimately who you were created to be like, to be in this community of mutual self-giving love where relationships don't orbit around you, but they orbit around the other, and somehow you guys are engaging in that together. And so there's beauty. You find them beautiful. You imagine about them. You praise them. You glorify them. You enjoy them. And then there's duty that because of the beauty, because of all that you praise, because of all that you adore, you engage in service and meaningful service into uh, the other person simply because of how beautiful they are to you. And so you see this glorification being shared between the three, that the Godhead creates this community of mutual self-giving love that helps each other pursue all that is right and good for the other. And so C.S. Lewis would help us understand this type of relationship by saying this, It says, God is not a static thing, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama, almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. And so you see this orbit, that they're invited into a dance with each other, that no one other is over the other, and they're entering into this community of mutual self-giving love and desire glorifying each other in both beauty and duty as they pursue all that is right in the creation and recreation of the world. And so what, what, what is happening here and what Mark 1 is portraying is that the Father's perfect image of himself is Jesus, and there's such joy and delight that, that they're sharing their exchange between the two that it creates a third person radiating the love and joy that is found within the relationship. So when the Godhead exists, the essence of humanity, a community of mutual self-giving love, each person does not insist that the other revolves around them, but they insist on glorifying one another, adoring, serving, deferring, and putting the interest of others above their own. Each one is moving toward the other. Instead of insisting, the other moves towards them. And because of that, you have a dance. You have a dance. You have a dynamic, pulsating dance of joy. And this creates an overflowing dynamic of love because there is another to delight in. This creates an overflowing dynamic of joy because no one is seeking their own glory. And it becomes an overflowing dynamic of adoration because there's deep satisfaction within each other. That is literally the foundation of the world in the God of which whom you were created in. 
And so when you experience life and relationships in this manner, it feels like heaven. And you know what it feels like to not be in that moment when you feel manipulated, when you feel like the other person is having you orbit around them in the relationship. You've been in those before where you feel like this is broken, there's something wrong here, because you literally weren't created to be in relationships like that. It was formed, and you were shaped in the image of a triune God who exists in community, first and foremost, and it's the community of mutual self-giving love where everyone's glorifying each other, not worried about their own glory, but glorifying the other. And they enter into a dance that ultimately exuberates this love and adoration and joy. And so we enter into this in a manner that allows us to understand who we are and who he is in light of that. And so there are implications to this, right? Like God is, if God is Trinity, he's no more fundamentally three than he is one or no more fundamentally one than he is three, the implications of this are huge. If we believe that this is who our God is, like, like this is the nature of who he is, that he exists in this community of mutual self-giving love. And then in Genesis 1 it says, I'm going to create man and woman in this image. What are the implications that we should be holding true so that we can understand a little bit more about who we are. First off, John 17 says this. It says, I am praying, this is Jesus, later on after he's asking God for the glory that they've shared together. It says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us. Church, look at, look at this me. That's us. Jesus is praying for Community Covenant Church right here in John 17. I pray they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. That is mind-blowing, that the, the glory that is shared in the triune community, the glory that is shared between God the Father, God the Son, and perfect delight and pleasure, that it creates a third in the Holy Spirit, the fact that this community exuberates this type of glory within each other, Jesus gives to us. And the crowd went wild. Come on. The glory found in the Godhead is the glory that Jesus shares with his people so that they may be one. And so from John 17, 20 through 22, just a few implications. If we are created in the image of the triune God and are also being restored into the image of the triune God, number one, you get community. You get community. Jesus asks God the Father, may they be one as we are one. May they be in relationship with each other. And so if, if the Trinity is who our God is, then we are in a moment or we're in a stage that humanity, that the essence of our reality is life-giving relationships. Like that is 
what life is about. If we believe that God exists in Trinity and in, in, in a community of mutual self-giving love, our reality is relationships. If God is unipersonal, he's just mod- like a modalist, like he's just a God that transforms in three different ways, that means there's only one God and there's only about power. There's no love that exists between that God and anyone else until he creates another. And so now we have power that the foundation of the world is created on. That's not what this is. Love exists at the foundation of the world. Joy exists at the foundation of the world because there's three in one. If we're tritheists, we have the insecurity of not knowing how to please like the, the, the God of the sun that might be killing our crops or might be you know, making our cars break down on 95 because it's too hot. I, who knows? Like, or they're giving us sunburns. All that. We don't know how to please the gods that are out there. We don't know which one's like smiting us at any certain time or what we need to do. This massive insecurity that portrays from polytheism. He says, no, no, you get community, life-giving love. Like relationships are what your life is about because the God that you were created in exists in a community of mutual self-giving love, not making the other orbit around you, but you orbiting with the other in, a, in some sort of dance. Here's the problem, though, is that many of us today's day and age, we center around our careers or we center around our kids and here's what we do in new england we say we're all set don't we that's what we say we're all set we're all set there's a good chance that many of you are either living or are either living or have moved and come back and live within like a five mile radius of where you grew up and the crowd said amen right there's a good chance like that's possible there's a good chance that you are probably third or fourth generation in your family to live in this area. And so when it comes to relationships, you're just like, I'm all set. I got my friends. Like, I got my high school buddies that I still see from time to time. I got my family that's still there. And so here's what ends up happening. If we, if, if we base it off of our, our history in an area, the other, person, the other thing we do is careers. Like, we don't have time for relationships because we got to work. We got something to build here. Or the other thing we put in there is our kids. Like when I'm, like when they're 18, I might have time for relationships. Because here's what happens. Okay, I'm going to base my communities based off the activities of my kids. Right? And so I got my soccer friends here, and we do soccer things together or football things together, right? And then I got my church friends here, and we just, we worship Jesus sometimes together. And then we got, like, our PTO friends over here, and, and, like, the common unity factor is we just hate the school system, right? And, like, we just have all of these little things, and none of them interact with each other. I just got my friends here, got these friends over here, got these things over here, and I'm all set. And we never actually dive into the community that is promised us when we live life the way we were designed to live. Diving into relationships based off mutual self-giving love. Christ-centered relationships that allow us to grow to become more like him. And as we dive into those areas that we find ourselves in, we are seeking the glory of God in and through those relationships. It'll be mind-blowing. One day, you will desire that your church, that your soccer friends, your football friends, your baseball friends, or your hockey friends, whatever, that they meet Jesus. And they're going to become part of your church friends. That'll be weird. Because now you've got friends that are interacting with each other. 
and you got these PTO friends where, where it's all kind of like, oh, it's all about the schools, all about the things. Whatever. And you say, you know, like, yeah, like we should serve our, our kids because, because Jesus loves us. And we should see this movement take place because simply the community of mutual self-giving love is the image that we are created in. You get community if Trinity is who we were created in. And so you get community, that they will be one. Here's what Cornelius Plantinga would say about this. It says that the Bible says that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit glorify one another. That means that the persons within God exalt, commune with, and defer to one another. Each harbors the others at the center of its being. In constant movement of overture and acceptance, each person envelops and encircles the other. God's interior life overflows with self-giving love for others. You were made for mutual self-giving love, not self-centeredness. Selfishness is by nature static. If the dance of the Trinity is who you were created in, selfishness is static. It's staying still. And so you may give, but as, as long as you, you may give or pursue or serve, but as long as you're getting something in return and it makes you feel better. But that's not what community is inviting you to do. He's inviting you to find beautiful and dutiful the things of God. And so you get community. You get joy, number two. If the Trinity is real, you get joy. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. Why does the Trinity matter? The pattern of this three-personal life is a pattern that should be played out within each of us. They are the great fountain of energy and beauty at the very center of reality. And there is no other way to the happiness by which we have been made. Now, here's, here's the thing. If, if a relationship, um, if, if the Godhead is all consumed with the glory that they're giving each other, and you have the Father giving son glory to the Son, and the Son giving glory to the Father, and the Spirit and, and giving glory to both the Father and the Son, and all three of them are engaging in this glorifying. Do, do they need our glory in order to be happy? No. Right? No. They don't need our glory, yet he calls all throughout the Bible for us to give him glory. Why is he doing that? He doesn't need to. He can say, I'm just glorifying ourselves. We're good. We're all set. But what does he call us to? Glorify him. Why does he want to do that? Because he wants our joy. If joy, if perfect joy in relationships and love is there in the midst of who our God is, and he doesn't need us so that, we, that they're all set, What's he going to do? He's going to say, I want to give it to you because this is the best way to do life. This is the best way to live. This is the best way to engage with me. Like, I can't, this is so amazing that I just want to share it with you. And so you get connected to this perfect community of mutual self-giving love. He invites you into the dance through the death and resurrection of Jesus. He says, life doesn't have to be about your selfishness where everything orbits around you, but you can actually be, be invited and actually accept the invitation of the dance of God. You get joy. And so because God does not seek his own glory, but is seeking the glory of others, and they are circling each other, they are infinitely happy. If you find someone who you adore and you think of themselves more than anything in the world, and you discover that they feel the same way about you, like, that's great. 
because you're actually employing the Godhead in the image of the God you're created in. And so we want our joy. And so the question is for you, do you just believe in God or are you in the dance? Do you just believe in God? Like this is, you know, he's good, he's cool. Or are you dancing with this community of mutual self-giving love where life is actually poured out of you as you orbit around others, built for relationships, built for community out of the image of God. So we, you get community, you get joy, we participate in mission. Why does he say he wants us to be in him? Why does he say in John 17 that he wants us to be in him? So that the world may believe. So somehow when you're interacting with this, these relationships that you were created for, somehow when you're experiencing this orbit around others and this mutual self-giving love, when you experience that, when you are participating in the dance, somehow that displays to the world that God is real and that they believe in him. Here's what John 13 says, and we talked about this all spring, um, but it's verse 34, John 13 says, so, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you, and should you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for each other will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And so here's who we get to be as a community. We get to understand that God is for us and that we get to understand that we are for each other. And then because we're for each other, we are for our community. We are for the world. We're for the restoration of all things built up from this community of mutual self-giving love. It inspires us to action, inspires us to beauty, inspires us to duty as we pursue the things that God created us to do. So we participate in mission. Do you believe today, if you, do you believe today that everyone's life would be better if Jesus was at the center of it? Okay, so then what do your relationships look like? Right? Like what do your relationships look like? Is this what your activity or your reality is if in fact you do believe that Jesus Christ is at the center of it because at the center of it is a Godhead that exists in, the, in a community of mutual self-giving love. And so we ask ourselves, do we believe that? And then this good theology will produce good fruit as we pursue others and we're for them. But here's the last thing that we get. You get joy. We participate in mission. But lastly, we experience unity. John 17, 22 says, I have given them the glory you gave me so those who believe in their message may be one. Maybe one. You get unity. You get unity. Now, here's the thing. In church world, in our church here, probably about 80 to 90% of you have had full, like regular attendance at another church before attending here. Like that's in our community. And so like in that experience, when we're, we're with each other, 
here in this room, right? So we got this group of people over here, don't know this group of people over here too well, right? And that happens because there's like over 100 people um, that, that gather with us. There's, there's literally 800 people that will call a consistent attendance here at Community Covenant Church home. But like 80% of us has had regular attendance somewhere else before coming here. Do you know what that creates? Baggage, right? It creates presuppositions about way, the way this, world, this room looks, about the way our interaction with the community looks, about what we should do, about what success is, what health is. And so we take everything about what we know to be true about church, and we kind of come here and we say, this is it. And so when we gather together, we're with each other. But what the Bible seems to be saying here is that we need to be for each other. And so we take all of the things that we believe to be true, and we say, we sacrifice them at the foot of the cross and say, God, how would you allow us as a community to orbit around each other so that there can, in fact, be unity that looks a little bit more like the triune God that we worship. We get unity. He gives us glory so that we can be one. And so today, we have to ask ourselves, are we in the dance? Because here's what with each other will do. Given all the things that we carry sometimes about the hurts and about the dreams that we have about church world, is it can cause a whole lot about a whole lot of cynicism. And what cynicism does is it puts us on the sidelines like this. It says, I'm not dancing with anybody. And we say that already because we're New Englanders, right? We're like already uncomfortable with the whole dance imagery, but like that's be real. I'm not dancing. Because this doesn't look the way that I want it to. This doesn't feel the way that I'd like it to. You're not doing the things that I'd like you to. You're not saying the things that I wish you would. And if I could be your pastor for a second, I'd say that doesn't look like this. That doesn't look like this. What God invites us into is mutual self-giving love where we all together are saying, how can we orbit around each other, glorifying each other, beauty and duty, holding beautiful the church, holding dutiful the church because the triune God has created us in the image that allows us to be mutual self-giving lovers. Are you in the dance? What God's inviting us into today is a dance with him. And so today you could potentially be making that decision for the first time and saying, you know what, I, I, I've, I've desired to be in someone, with someone bigger than me. I, I'm, I'm lonely in community. I don't have a purpose. And what God's saying, just come dance because I can give you all three. I can give you identity. I can give you community. I can give you mission. I can give you the sense of purpose and understanding all that God says he is. but he also might be asking you to dance today because some of us could be standing back and saying, you know, I don't really want to dive in. And in our cynicism, we forfeit the things of God because simply we weren't created for that.
And so he gives us unity. He gives you community. He gives you joy, and he gives you mission. And so I pray today, if you aren't in meaningful community, that you'd find meaningful community. Our community groups have started. You can still sign up for that. There are multiple that you can engage in. Maybe there might be a friend or two that you need to just begin to commune with and and regularly meet with. Maybe for you today, beauty is absent of your view of God. You don't adore God. Imagine life without or with him. Your prayer time is basically all you asking him for things and not you lifting up exaltation for him. But ultimately what the Trinity is saying, he's saying you are invited into the dance of mutual self-giving love. We are orbiting around others because you were created in an image of a God who does that for all of eternity. And he's inviting you into the joy and the community of what that's like. So today when we gather around our tables, we're going to practice that. When we gather around the table and practice communion, we're going to practice that, that, that we are underneath the banner, whether we're six months or 106 years old, we're gathering underneath the banner of Jesus Christ, engaging in all that he says he is, because the nature of God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, and one in three. Jesus, we ask that you would do a work in us today that you would confront and reproof the things that you need to confront, that you'd move us towards life and grace and mercy. God, that you would help us see that communal, uh, a community of mutual self-giving love is, is who we were created in, in the image of the God that we were created by. And that we can long and desire to look more like God, we ask for the joy that comes along with finding glory in God. God, a deep sense of your rest, that we can't figure this out, but we can just rest in it. That there's something true and life-giving about it. That, God, that you'd invite us into community, that life is really about relationships. It's not about me and about doing life on my terms, but it's about pouring into, in both beauty and duty, the life of another that, God, that you would build our sense of mission as a church, that somehow that when, they, when the world sees what we're interacting with here, that they would literally just be in awe of a God that would actually be active, actively engaging with the people that he created, that there's mission and purpose and a sense of life. But, God, that we would be unified as a church, built on the gospel, God, we learn how to lay all that we know to be true down so that you can shape us into a community of what you would like us to look like. That we're not just with each other on the weekends, but that we're for each other. We find each other beautiful and that we can serve in duty because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, help us live the Trinity as it moves out from within us because we're created in your image. Help us do that today.
name we pray. Amen.